to keep that Bible open, that will be really helpful. Uh, I grew up in a non-Christian family. Uh, my father was um, Taoist, Buddhist, and so I actually grew up going to the temple a lot. Um, uh, my, my dad was, um, you know, my dad's side of the family was very devout, uh, devout to, Buddha, to Taoism, and my auntie's house, inside the house, was just idols after idols, statues after statues. So that, that's my upbringing. So even when I was young, my father dedicated me to a temple, so I, I was kind of adopted by one of the deities. My mom was a bit more traditional. She essentially just does whatever my dad wants her to do. And so, you know, very regularly uh, on the first day of the month and the 15th day of the month, that's when you fast, you become a vegetarian, and then you go to the temple to pray. And my classmate uh, also goes to the temple in, in my primary school. Uh, he goes to the temple to pray so that the gods will help him to get good results. And he was the top student. Uh, and so I was very motivated to also follow him, all right? But you know what? Every time I enter the temple, my, my emotional experience has been that whenever I enter the temple, uh, I get a sense that there is a power there. Uh, but it's not a power that I can relate with. My emotions mostly is about fear and duty. Right? It's, not, it's only when someone in the mission school, I went to a mission school, uh, my Christian teacher showed me love. Uh, and they opened the Bible for me. They taught me to read the Bible. And that's when I first started to get the idea that there is a God. Uh, he has revealed himself and he is love. That God is love is such, for me, a revolutionary concept. That me, a tiny person in this universe, nobody really cares about me, but God did. From last week, we, we, we've been brought into the Trinity. Right? We, we realize that prayer as someone has described, has described it, is eavesdropping on the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is having this conversation. Uh, and he said prayer is like eavesdropping. To eavesdrop means to stand outside the window under the eave and you're listening. But that's not quite accurate in my opinion because we've been brought in. The door is open through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought in to participate in this conversation. See, within God himself is relationship characterized by mutual love and mutual esteem. The, 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 the God the Father esteem and love the Son. He's not a second-rate God. Now, they're, they're one in that sense. But they're different. Again, there is diversity within the Trinity. There are different things they do. And so within this love relationship is how we understand everything that God does in our world. For example, creation. Uh, we know God created mankind in his own image. But because of our understanding of the inner fellowship between God, God created man for fellowship as well. And it's not because God had a need. God was lonely, you know. Was, oh, man, all these angels are just getting tiring. Let's try a new project. Now, that, that wasn't the case. Out of the, the outflow of God, right, the love within God made, created man in that sense and we were created to be part of this loving relationship. So creation uh, is how we can understand how in verse 6, right, the disciples first belong to God. But I think there is more to be said about that. Then redemption. What is it that God does on the cross? For God so loved the world, uh, is a famous verse in the Gospel of John, John 3.16, that he gave his only son. Incredible. 
that the world that is against God, anti-God, uh, God still finds within himself the love to extend salvation. And finally, judgment and new creation, right? So that, that's where the entire history of man is heading to. There's creation. Jesus revealed himself. And now there is a new path. But it all kind of climate, it's all moving towards this point in time, in history, when Jesus is going to come back again. There will be judgment. Even here, God is love. Because God is love, judgment is a good thing. And so out of this love comes Jesus' shepherding love, if I I may call it. Jesus' shepherding love for his disciples. Uh, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd in chapter 10. The good shepherd protects the sheep. The good shepherd provides for the sheep, protects the sheep, takes the sheep out to find pasture. But who are these disciples? How do we identify them? Um, There are three key verbs that are found in verse 8 in this passage, and these help us to identify, well, what are these characteristics of the disciples that Jesus is praying for? Uh, So verse 6, for example, Jesus, I have revealed you to those whom whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. We'll come back to that word later. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So the first verb, uh, first word, first verb, uh, in that three words that help us understand the disciple is accepted. The disciples accepted Jesus' teaching. To accept is to receive. You don't generate you receive it. And note again the priority of God's action here. They accept the words that is from the Father to the Son, and now from the Son, as if they were the exact words from the Father. Right? Note that unity, that connection. We've been brought in uh, into that communion, right? from the Father to the Son and now to the, the disciples. Jesus says, they were yours. Right? They belong to God in creation. We know that to be true. But in this context, they were also predestined to be given to Jesus. Um, The idea of predestination is a difficult teaching. Uh, For a start, I just want to know that there is a tension in the Bible. For example, the God who wants, who loves the world, wants everyone to repent and turn to him, nevertheless predestined some. Right. That's, that's a tension in the Bible. It is, it is, they are both true. And so we, we need to hold those two tensions together. Uh, there are two common responses whenever we talk about predestination. Uh, they both start with A, anger and anxiety. All right. Anger comes from, again, a God-given sense of fairness. Right? We, we, it's from God. that We, we, we need to feel this way. That, we go, that That's not fair. And yet, when you understand the full, picture, the full message of what the Bible is saying, it goes like this. All have chosen to disobey God out of their own free will. All deserve death and judgment. God has a right to be angry with everyone, is another way of saying it. And yet, God chose some to show His mercy. God's creation, God's choice. So don't be angry. 
that anger comes from an understanding, yeah, it may not seem fair, but we are the ones who walked away first. God didn't have to save anyone at all, but he chose to do it. So instead of being angry, accept, right? Accept our need to be forgiven. Accept that we, you know, it, it comes from God, not from us. That's the first A. We get angry. And my encouragement for you is don't be angry. Accept. The second A, of course, is anxiety. It's, it's where that there's this lack of assurance of salvation for us, you know. Am I part of the one? Am I in? You see, predestination brings comfort. It, it's, it's a doctrine that is meant to bring us comfort when we understand the privilege it is of what God has done for us. But it can only bring comfort when we humble ourselves and accept this teaching. We know that we are blessed and chosen, not because of ourselves. And so my encouragement is that if, if you are in this space where you are worried about whether am I in, then the fact that you are worried is a good sign. That if you are willing to say, I need this, and you humbly come before God and accept this, that's a good start. So acceptance is the first word, the first verb to accept. Right? These disciples have accepted God. The second verb, of course, is the word new, to know. The disciples now know God in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's something unique about that. They've been brought in. Now they know the identity and the authority of Jesus. Jesus' authority comes from God the Father. They now know the truth about God, that God himself eternally is Father, Son, and Spirit, right? There is no sense that, that there is a sense that this, this is who God really is from eternity. Jesus has revealed God the Father to us. As an aside, this is why I, I find the concept of God as mother troubling. I'm nothing against mother. Uh, and yet this is how God has revealed himself, to put it simply. This is not abstract information. This is intimate relation and knowing. To know someone is to have a relationship with them. They accepted, they knew, and finally they believed. Right? To believe is to trust. They trusted in Jesus' testimony about God the Father. In fact, all of the disciples, all, all of them died to bear witness to this testimony. If this is not true, they will not die for it. And so God the Father sent the Son, we see in verse 8, right? It's starting to have this, they know with certainty that you sent me. Uh, here we're starting to see that sending is an important aspect of the mission of God. God the Father sent the Son, and the Son is going to send the disciples. But together, these three verbs, right? To accept, to know, and to believe, help us to understand what it means now to be considered righteous before God. This is a very important point. Stay with me here, right? If you're drifting away, come back, right? These three verbs help us to understand what it is to be right before God now. Right? So have a look at verse 6b. Jesus said to his disciples, um, now it means there was just 11 of them, minus the one that betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot. Jesus said the disciples have obeyed God's word. They were yours you gave them to be, and they have obeyed 
your word. In the original language, that word means to keep and to observe. Right? They have observed and kept your word. That's a temple word. Temple as in... That, that's, that's the Old Testament word that is most often always used when people were said to be righteous before God. They have kept God's law and they have observed the temple's regulation. But something has changed, isn't it? Now to be considered righteous before this God, we don't have to be circumcised. Isn't that good? You don't have to obey all the laws. In other words, Jesus is transforming that language to say, when we accept, when we know this God, when we believe in Him, it is as if we are considered righteous before this God through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. This righteousness is no longer about a requirement, the things that you do. It's no longer about keeping the temple, uh, regulation or obeying the law. To accept, to know, to believe are all active words. They are verbs. We need to take responsibility for them. But we understand that they are predicated by God's love towards us. You know, the application for this, uh, for our worship of God is tremendous. For example, there is now no sacred spaces, no temple. Uh, where, you know, God put his name there. It is now located in Jesus. That's the name. The name by which salvation is to be extended to all humanity is found in this name, in this person, Jesus, the name that God has chosen. To worship Jesus is to worship him everywhere in spirit and in truth. So no sacred spaces, I would say. No sacred things. No special observance of festivals and special days. Uh, in one sense, the church continues to have a calendar and, you know, it seems like a contradiction when we say we're going to do Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But the point is, none of this matters to our righteousness. We observe them because they are a helpful reminder for us about the storyline of God's involvement in our world. You don't do them because you want to be in. The implication for prayer, it's no longer about legalism and rituals. See, no external marks of righteousness before this God. Isn't it great? It doesn't matter whether you pray five seconds or five hours. That it, you know, in one sense, it doesn't contribute to your righteousness before God. We are all sinners saved by grace. That's the thing about prayer, isn't it? So I'm not going to command you to pray. I'm just going to bring forward the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Him and your love for Him. We'll start there. Out of His shepherding love for His disciples, Jesus prayed for them. These are the people that He's praying for. They've accepted, they know Him, and they believe in Him. Jesus prays two things for them. Protection from the world and Satan and sanctification or being set apart for mission. So let's, let's have a look at the first one. Jesus prays for protection uh, you know, for, of the believers that, uh, that belong to him. So Jesus says a bit small, have a look in your Bible. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for, 
for they are yours. All I have is yours, all you have is mine. And glory comes to me through them. I'm not going to be in this world any longer, but they still are. Right? Therefore, they need the protection. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is asking for them to protect them as they remain in Jesus. Another way of saying this. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None of them has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. But I'm coming to you now. Right? And they, they, the world will hate them because they now belong to me. They are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out. My prayer is that you protect them from the world, from the evil one. And so remember from last Sunday, I said the world is a dark forest. It's a hostile world that is ruled by Satan, the evil one referred in verse 15. And therefore, the, the disciples are in enemy territory. Uh, we don't feel like it. We don't think that this is about it. It is. There, there are things in this world that are detrimental to our spiritual health. What's the danger, however? The danger, firstly, is that they will be scattered. The disciples will be scattered. Like sheep. And the wolves come. But together they represent the fellowship of God, the body of Christ. They may be diverse, but Jesus prays for their unity. I'm going to talk about more about this unity next Sunday. But there is a danger that Christians just, all right, we'll just do our own thing. Individualism. Danger number two, there's a danger that they'll drift back to the world and follow Satan because of the persecution and hardship implied in following Jesus. The world hates them, verse 14. Satan targets them, verse 15. And the outcome of persecution and hatred can be the loss of joy. Right, to rob the joy, the disciples of the joy within them, in verse 13, Jesus therefore says, look, this is important. I'm going to the cross in obedience to my Father. Jesus has joy and he wants his disciples to maintain that joy. What Satan wants to do, what the enemy wants to do, and what the world wants to do is to take away that joy. Right? When all that happens, when joy is taken away, then the ministry and mission of God suffers. So here's a question. Have you lost your joy in serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Could be due to persecution. Could be just due to Satan targeting us. He has a lot of means that causes us distress and anxiety and fear. Our protection comes from Jesus, remaining in Jesus. So here's that Closet charismatic coming out in me, you know. Closet charismatic, you're familiar with the term? See, I always, I always, uh, my, my biggest joke with a Pentecostal, I have a Pentecostal uh, co worker in CMS. I said, I'm the true Pentecostal. Nah, you don't pray in tongues. Everybody has to be Pentecostal. You cannot be a Christian unless you are a Pentecostal Christian. Right? When the Holy Spirit comes, that's where you understand God. Say, I'm the true Pentecostal. Reclaim that joy. Uh, if you, God has made a promise. Reclaim that joy. Accept, know, believe that this joy is possible again. If you're tired, that's all right. I understand ministry is hard. 
Mission is hard. But joy is independent of that. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes from accepting, knowing, and believing in Jesus Christ. Full stop. Satan cannot take that away. Because joy is a gift. It's just as faith is a gift. You're in Christ. But there is a danger. When, when you're no longer in connection with believers in Christ, when you're not fellowshipping with them, that's where you're, that you're vulnerable, so to speak. And so Jesus is praying for them. He wants them to stay united. He wants them to be set apart because he has a purpose for them. Here we start to see the connection between being set apart, being united with Christ as he sets himself apart and being sent to the world. So Jesus prays for their sanctification. That's an interesting word. Um, you know, it, it's, it doesn't mean, you know, it's not like the Roman Catholic Roman Catholicism understanding of saints. You can only be a saint after you die. And when you've proven that you've lived a, a virtuous life and you've done some miracles all documented, then yeah, you can be put on a list. Saint Joshua. It has a nice ring to it. No, now we are saints. Right? That's what the Bible is saying. You are saints and sinners at the same time. The word just means be set apart. To be sanctified is to be set apart. And notice how Jesus talks about the centrality of the word of God. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Here is the revelation of Jesus, but I think instrumentally it comes through the Bible. Through the apostles, the record of the apostles' teaching. And so I think that it's important. Scripture is important for us to be, to, to be set apart daily time or regular time reading and reflecting the Bible on your own is important. Right? Don't just be a Sunday sermon Christian only. Don't just go to a small group. Right? Again, it is our own responsibility as we read God's Word so that we may accept, know God, and trust in Jesus. Why do we need to be set apart? For what? What's the purpose? Right, the answer is God's mission. See, the church is not a holy harbor. Right? Chris Wright in his book, uh, mission, you know, mission of God, this is how he described it. Right? It's not that church has a mission. Uh, it's that God's mission has a church. And the question we need to ask is, are we that church? Setting apart is Jesus' preparation. Right? For them, I sanctify myself. There is an intention, a purpose. I set aside myself so that they, having been brought in, can be set apart for God's mission. I just got a couple of reflections. Um, you know, just in terms of thinking about Jesus' shepherding love has prompted me to think about, yeah, you know, there, there are shepherds within our community too. So, for example, parents are shepherds. Uh, we shepherd our children. Uh, we teach them. We pray for them. We care for them. Uh, the elders of our church are also shepherds. Right? There's a sense that as I read these, I put myself under the microscope and say, yeah, it's important for me to think through together with the leadership of this church. I'm reading a book at the moment called Eldership and the Mission of God. Fantastic book. I, I recommend it. If you want to know what the title of the book is, come and see me. 
Right? So essentially, shepherds teach the truth about God's righteousness. Shepherd prays for the protection of God's sheep. Shepherd prays for the setting apart and the sending out of, you know, for the faithful proclamation of the word. All of that is part and parcel of what we want to do as parents and as elders of the church. What is the expression of that is something that I'm keen to explore uh, as we grow together uh, in, our, in, in this journey of us becoming more like Christ, making disciples for Christ. Um, as a concrete example of this, for example, this morning, I'm going to invite Nelly and Andrew to come and come up. We're going to pray for them as leaders of this church. You're going to go on mission. We are, we are sending them. They're serving Jesus, but there is a sense that we as a church are sending them. And I've asked Alex to come and join you, but it's an open invitation for anyone who come and want to lay hands. The laying of hands is just our way of saying, uh, you know, when it, when it gets difficult, don't forget that we are with you, right? And, you know, we are in this together. So why don't you step on up and uh, Alex, uh, ah, there we are. Bert, would you want to come and jump up and let's pray for them? Uh, anybody who wants to come and pray for them, we're going to spend some time, say, short prayer and ask for God's protection for them and ask God to multiply their ministry.